Hello, and welcome to The Potential State. My name is Dr. Asel Romanelli, and today I'm going to talk to you about perfectionism, control, and self-blocking. In the wonderful workbook slash book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameroon, she talks about perfectionism being a block. It's a way that we prevent ourselves from working and from producing because we keep rewriting, re-editing, rethinking about rescheduling whatever project we're working on. So she writes there, she says, keep creating. And she said, if I remember correctly, there's a note on next to her laptop, or there was, it said, God, you take care of the quality, I'll take care of the quantity. And just to create more and more and keep creating, keep writing, keep drawing, keep acting. And for a while there, I liked the idea. And something happened a few weeks ago when I was supervising a therapist in my clinic. And he was telling me about this case. And he's telling me about this case, and it's a very complicated case, a lot of kids and the parents and the history of the parents. And I kept wanting to interject and to like brainstorm, what are we going to do about this case? And thoughts, and he kept saying, wait, there's more, wait, there's more, wait, there's more. I just want to add a little bit more, a few more details, a few more details. And after a while, I realized, and I said, listen, we're not moving up. We're not, we're not taking off. We're not collaborative. We're not playing. What we realized is for him to give more and more details, right? To have the story perfect, so have all all the information and all the details is crucial for him. But actually, the price he's paying is that he's keeping us very concrete. There's no place right now to take off and to start playing because, wait, there's more details. There's more details. And this aspiration to give all the details is actually a very clever way or an unconscious way to maintain control, to maintain control of the situation, to make sure can maintain control of the content by him insisting that there's more and more details he's basically postponing my interaction with him he's postponing my interjection into his experience he's actually preventing me from accepting influence by stalling and what really what i was when we were talking we suddenly realized this is his way of preventing play this is a this is his way of staying concrete and actually losing out on creating a potential state which is the concept we've been speaking about in the past. And then I realized that I connected this to this concept called blocking. So in theater improvisation, the first cardinal rule is yes and, right? Accept. Accept an offer. An offer, a bid, or is anything that somebody does on stage. I was saying something, looking at you, offering you something. So accepting an offer is saying yes to it. But blocking is an interesting concept because um, Keith Johnson writes in his book Improv, that blocking, there's three types of blocking. And blocking is a form of aggression, actually. So there's three ways to block. I can block by not listening. Not listening even to the offer that someone's telling me on stage. The second blocking, which is more obvious, is negating my partner's reality. So if, for instance, somebody will say to me, Hey, Grandma, thanks for coming to my birthday party. And I come and say, I'm not your grandma. I'm your sister. Aren't you confused? So I basically negated their reality. In life, we say no, or the more sophisticated will say, yes, but. Um, do you like this shirt? I do, but I would never get it. So the but kind of negates it and blocks that, negates the reality of the of my partner. And the third type of, stall, of blocking, which is very, very familiar to all of us, is stalling action. So what that means is if I'm in a scene and I'm saying, hey, let's rob a bank. And the, my scene partner says, wait, 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 I don't have a gun. 
And then I give him the gun. Wait, 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 I don't have bullets. I give him bullets. Wait, 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 but I don't have, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What is he or she is actually doing? They're stalling. And by stalling the action, they're preventing us to move forward. They're preventing us from creating, from playing, from moving ahead. So what I realized going back to that supervision session is the therapist was blocking me. But more, he was blocking himself. He was so wanted to control his story and his narrative that he didn't let me in. And he ended up being alone. Right? So these people, us, when we insist on being controlled, when we insist on being right, giving all the details, and only then we'll be open, we're actually missing out on play. And I want to give an example. That same week, I went to my own supervision, to my supervisor, Eitan, and, and I described a case that I was working on. And lo and behold, he's kept interjecting. I was, I was giving him the flow of the session. He kept coming in, kept butting in. And I didn't stop him, but I was like, ah, oh, every time he did, I was like, wait, let me finish, let me finish. And I was reflecting that here I am doing exactly the same thing, right? I'm refusing to accept influence from Ethan because I want to kind of deliver the complete narrative that I have in my mind. Right? And if I'm insisting on my complete narrative, then I'm basically all I'm le- leaving him is to just clap his hands and say, hooray. I'm not actually open up for an interaction. I'm protecting myself. I'm protecting my narrative. So when, I was, when that happened back to back, me supervising therapists and then me doing it to my own supervisor, I realized, yes, that is an issue. And the more I'm thinking about it, there's another benefit for not waiting till everything is completely in place, till everything is described, till everything is mapped out. The other advantage is, is that I'm surprising my partner. I'm actually refreshing the interaction because I'm kind of cutting him off in the middle of, of, his, of his momentum, and then we're going in a different direction. And if we're thinking about true collaboration, true intimate relationships, or true partnership, is when we both co-create the reality. So if he's bringing in his narrative and I'm waiting till he's done, then I don't have much to add. I'm going to have to add to whatever he already delivered. But if I cut him midway, if I dare to kind of interject and he lets me and he accepts influence, he lets me in, then what we're going to be doing is creating a very exciting story, a very exciting project, a very exciting experience. And I want to give an example from a different client a while back. He started talking about his life being uh, kind of shallow and minimal and very bare and very uneventful. And he was starting to describe it. Suddenly I had this image, this visual of a eulogy party where he would give a eulogy to his life up until now. Now, I, I could have waited till he was done talking, but this, this image came up for me, this visual. Carl Whitaker, family therapist, he talks about when there's a metaphor that comes to my mind or visual and it stays there, you have to consider that it's maybe from the whole field. Maybe it's also the clients. Maybe it's, but it has to be shared or at least be considered to be shared. So there was a moment there he was in the middle of describing it, and I said, wait, this image came up and it wouldn't go away. So I said, wait, I just had this visual of this eulogy party where you do a bon- you'd have a bonfire and you'd call some friends over and you would actually read your eulogy for your life up until now, for your marriage up until now. Kind of say it, describe it, lay it to rest so maybe something new can open. And this was a half-baked idea. But but for me, if I would have waited till he can finish that whole monologue and told me and gone all the way into the problem-saturated narrative, as we say in narrative therapy, there would be no chance for surprises. 
And I needed to really believe that I, A, there'd be a rupture, obviously, because I'm cutting him off. But I'm letting go. I'm also letting go of my control because I was releasing a half-cooked idea. I didn't know. I didn't think all the way about all the deep psychoanalytic meanings of giving your own eulogy at a bonfire party. Because I could have also been perfectionist and cooked that and stayed in what we call the reverie, which is the psychotherapist's meandering, his thoughts as he or she is listening to the clients and listening to himself. But I think all these years of theater improv training really pushed me into a way of saying, that's coming up for now and I'm going to go for it. I'm going to let go of control. I'm going to take a risk. Because if I would have cooked it too much, if the idea would have been rehearsed in my mind, then when I would already eventually say it to the client, it wouldn't have had that freshness, that edge, that risk. And if and Knobach talks about high-risk, high-gain high situations. So when you're in a really deep improvisational moment, when you're co-creating it together, there's a high risk and high gain. And those are the moments that at the end of the day stay. Those are the moments that have impact. Those are the moments you're going to remember at the end of the day, week, year, month, interaction, whether it's professional or personal. You remember those high-risk, high-gain moments. And I want to give another example actually from the theater world. So I conduct playback theater performances, which means my job is to take audience volunteers who come on stage and ask them a few questions about whatever story they want to tell. And then at a certain point, it's my job to deliver that story, like to pass it on to the actors, which will then play it back in an improvisational format. So there's always that question of how much do you ask? When do you know that you have enough information from the storyteller that you can pass it on to the actors? And I think throughout the years, I've realized I need to ask less and less. Because in the beginning, I used to ask a lot of questions. Where did this happen? And then what happened? And how do you feel about this character? And then what? And what was your backdrop? And what did you learn from this? All these questions. I have to feel like I had to get the 360 degrees of this story to completely understand so we could faithfully serve this, this storyteller. But ironically, what I was doing is I was killing any spontaneity of the actors. I was basically spoon-feeding them exactly what the specific storyteller wanted. Now, here's, here's the kick, because the storyteller comes to stage. There's a part of him that wants to control the story, but the, there's a part of him that want, or her that wants to be surprised. So I realized I need to ask less. And in fact, many times I'll even, toward the end, when I feel the teller is trying to spoon-feed us the bottom line, I'll say, okay, we'll stop here, and we'll take it from here. And this is a huge leap of faith. To, to be able to stop a storyteller in the middle or toward the end and believe that we don't need more information, that less is more. And that is a process that I've been working on. And I think the more I think about it, the more I reflect on it, the more I'm realizing that by letting go of the control and the need to know everything, I'm actually opening up mystery and adventure and curiosity and creativity. So... Those were a few examples of perfectionism, control, and self-blocking. And I want to kind of continue with a few tips on what you can do to lower or release yourself or liberate or soften this need for control, perfectionism, or if you can consider it self-blocking. So the first thing is reflect, what would you rather be right and give the complete picture or know every single thing you're going to say or be in a play state, in a potential state, in a collaborative space. Now, they're not mutually exclusive, but sometimes this complete perfection or this complete control does not enable or invite play because there's no 
accepting influence because you're delivering a complete package. There's no, there's no, there's no need for feedback except for applause. So first reflect, what do you want more? Certain situations, of course, I want to be in control. Not every, not, not every single interaction, I want to be in a collaborative, improv, improvised space. So first reflect if that's what you want. Second, tell yourself and choose to believe that you're not perfect and that there are no mistakes. We'll talk about that in a different talk one day, but there's a presupposition in neurolinguistic programming and also in theater improvisation that there are no mistakes. They're only learning, only more information. So believe that you're going to take a risk here. You're going to say something and it might not be perfect, but it's going to, hopefully, there's going to be a high risk high gain. There's going to be something new, something fresh, something exciting. And then dare to respond or dare to suggest or dare to do something when the impulse comes, even if you don't have all the data, just an image, a visual, a feeling. Dare to do that. And worst case, there's going to be a rupture, and then that can be repaired. Feel, feel the liberty that I can go there, that I can do that, that I can say that. Become curious to see what's going to happen afterwards. The second you get the knack of playing and, and going on a, you know, risking it by not giving all the information, by interjecting before with all the data's in, you're actually going to be exciting. You're going to be sitting on the edge of your seat creating a fresh new interaction that you don't even know about. You have no idea where it's going. Like the excitement of hearing the words come out of my mouth of um, this eulogy bonfire party. And as it's coming out, I'm listening to it for the first time. So I'm experiencing, I, I call this broadcasting live. So I'm broadcasting live, like I'm doing right now, by the way. It's coming out of my mouth and both me and him are hearing it at the same time. And that's exciting. And that balances out the level field, levels the, the playing field. Because what's happening is we're both experiencing now for the first time together. Kind of erases the hierarchy and we're both co-creating it together. Like we're giving birth to this project, this idea, this conversation, to this brainstorming session together. And I feel like that is something that really excites me. And the second that the partner, the client, my child, my colleague sees that I'm getting, I'm excited because I don't really know where this is going, almost like a form of self-exposure, if you will, then there's, there's much more of an invitation to come join me. Let's do this together. Let's play. Let's see where this goes. This excitement, this adventure. And I guess the last tip I would say is repeat. Do that again and again and again. Whether you're, you're on the side that's delivering and it's, you're insisting that everything will be detailed and described. Or when you're listening to someone and in the moment as you're hearing it, you're getting an image, you're getting a direction, you're getting an impulse. Try that again and again and again. Perhaps try first with relationships you feel safe with, that they can deal, that they can sustain a rupture. But go for it again and again and again. And if God willing, if you keep doing it like this and you believe and you choose to believe that perfectionism is a block and that play and potential state require some risk and require some impulse and some craziness even, at the end of the day, that's what's going to allow you and your partner and the other, the colleague, the son, the wife, to accept influence, to meet, to co-create, to not feel alone. And what you're going to be doing, you're going to be enriching your relationships with a sense of vitality, fullness, richness, excited curiosity. And if you multiply that with a billion other interactions you're going to have, you can slowly turn your life to being more and more exciting. And I think that's a, that's a great 
aspiration. So my name is Dr. Asselva Manelli, and this was The Potential State. I'll see you next time.